I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Like victory. G'day listeners, welcome back to Full Metal Movie Reviews, it's your host Samboy. This week we've got the probably most iconic summer blockbuster of all time. It's an old school film from back in 1975. It's Steven Spielberg's first smash summer hit and it's probably the first film to put fear of sharks into people. It's the one and only Jaws. With me to discuss all things fishies is uh, Phony. Phony, how are you, brother? You're a chief. You want me to review Jaws. We are going to get the plot synopsis, the fun facts, the trivias, the whole damn thing. Yeah, I'm good, man. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> um, phones. Yeah, mate. start. Oof. We've been getting a lot of static out online about why we continue to do old films, and this film is old as fuck. Is and, it? Um, I guess my logic is that I want to bring up and discuss classic movies so that they're never forgotten, that the younger listeners out there can hunt these films down and enjoy them as we once did. That's my answer. Yep. Unofficially... All movies released today suck balls and they're not worth talking about. <laughs> so in other words, don't be a circle joker. Just enjoy the movie review that we're about to give you on one of the greatest summer blockbusters of all time, Jaws. Phones. Yeah, mate. Straight up. Yay or nay? Did you like this film? Um. Yeah, of course, man. Yay. Yay. And when did you first hear about it? When did it first uh, seep into your consciousness as a as a movie fan? Um, oh, as a movie fan, not not till I was a bit older and could appreciate it for what it was. But Jaws has always been a part of my childhood. I remember being about oh six years old, going to Moonta Bay with my nonnies, that's grandparents, uh, an Italian, and uh, and we just watched Jaws, and I refused to go on the water. And my nunna didn't help the situation by saying, oh, yeah, Anthony, there was a shark over there the other day. So, um, yeah, my whole life, um, I've definitely <laughs> had had a place for Jaws in my heart. There you go. Um, similar to you, I came to this a bit later. It's always It always used to be on TV a lot, um, like the Saturday night movie or like the Sunday night movie. Um. I remember watching parts of it when I was younger, uh, but I always probably fall asleep before it got to the actual good final act um, when um, Hooper and all that um, go out to uh, hunt the shark. I didn't really see it from start to end until much, 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 much later. Um, yeah. And I probably didn't appreciate it, until much, 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 much later. Because it's one thing to watch a film and they go, oh, this is shit, it fucking looks old, looks this, looks that. But to look past that and through the lens of a 1975 film and to actually soak in the dialogue and actually the flow of the plot, it's actually, yeah, it's a. I would say it's probably a masterpiece in storytelling. I really think it is. So I would have been, I reckon I was 18... Um, I I purchased Jaws on uh, DVD, which I still have, and I'm actually uh, no, no, that, that's something for another day. I purchased it on DVD, and um, I remember taking it to my cousin's house, not you, another one, <laughs> and we're watching it, and they were like, "Oh, this is boring. This is long." And I'm like, "This is great. This is a really good story. There's a flow. It's a thriller, almost. It's like a thriller monster movie to begin with, and then it." has a tone into adventure and that's when like most people i really tune into the movie like you really get invested in the characters you get invested with the fact that you know you haven't really seen this shark but you know it's dangerous you know these guys are risking it all to go out and kill this shark um and then you get the music the story the characters it just becomes really defines what a big movie blockbuster is 
because it could have almost been like a independent horror to begin with and then it comes out into that big blockbuster movie and i just want to say i'm actually looking up right now my tiny book collection i've got a small book collection i've got a jaws book which is actually the blu-ray um it might have been the 30 year anniversary blu-ray um, but it's got all these cool little fun facts. So I'm going to put myself on mute for a bit, let you talk about it. I'm going to pull it down and see if I can pull some stuff out of it. There you go, this is. There you go. Um, I, I, I feel like this film, In when you look through the prism of hindsight, you can see it actually is responsible for a lot of, I guess, um, Things that we take for granted. So the first being a summer release, which is a winter here in Australia. So in, in winter in Australia, we get all the good films. So this came out in June. Um, it has a simple premise. Uh, a terror shark is um, haunting a beach. It's summertime, peak, peak tourist season. A mayor has to shut down the town reluctantly. A sheriff um, has to hunt the shark with the help of an expert and a... I guess the word is, I don't know, it's not fisherman, but I guess he's a shark hunter. I don't know what the official term is. And it's scored beautifully. And I guess you'd say it has probably... <sighs> action, a mixture of humor, a mixture of lightheartedness, some thrills, some jump scares, a bit of blood... Uh, tiny itsy bitsy bit of nudity and i guess also um the probably would be say probably still tilted more towards adults than it is sort of teens but i would say probably this the first brick in that whole industry of um targeting pretty much everyone from 13 to 35 um, back in the 70s, listeners, movies had sort of a bit more of a narrow scope. You had films that were for adults. You had B-grade films that were for adults who like to see nudity and action. And then you had films for kids. There wasn't a lot of sort of overlapping um, markets. Uh, so this really was the first to make a action action centric film that could probably be enjoyed by teenagers and young adults and adults so it had a really broad scope um it also like i said had a lot of humor uh some parts were lighthearted some parts were serious a lot of um bit of violence bit of blood it was literally the first popcorn film ever made came out in 1975 came out in summer so it to get again everyone's on holidays and it was, I think, of the time, the highest grossing film um, to date. So the concept worked, worked brilliantly. Uh, and it's pretty much was only eclipsed by Star Wars, which came out two years later. So the first major summer blockbuster. Now, the plot itself is pretty simple. Uh, a fake town called Amni. Um, it's a sort of... I guess you say a summer town um, that's also a uh, island um, that has a lot of uh, summer tourists and basically it's whole sort of the way these people survive or the people that live on the island is to make money in the summer from all the tourists, okay? Um, so this particular summer, the town is being haunted by a shark, a, a massive killer shark uh, and police chief, uh, Martin Brody, he starts to investigate it, realizes that it's a shark. He wants to shut down the beaches. The mayor says no because he would lose the town's economy and it will ruin the, the town for a while. Um, so then uh, Brody goes to get a expert. Uh, I think Hooper. I think his name is Hooper. And Hooper helps him come up with the theory that this is actually a man-eater great white through various discoveries i learned that the great white is actually still hunting um and it comes to a point where Brody's son is actually 
uh, well, he survives a shark attack and he goes into shock and then has to be sent to hospital. So then Brody literally forces the mayor to sign a contract that allows him to hire a um, hunter, I guess. I don't know the, the term, uh, named Quinn. And Quinn is a World War II veteran um, who survived a shark attack when his battle cruiser, the Indianapolis, went down in World War II after being sunk by a Japanese sub. And they essentially, the last half of the movie, or I would actually say probably the last third of the no, last half of the movie, the three men are out on the boat trying to chase down this shark. Brilliant. Brilliant. Killer. The, the shark fights each other. They, sorry, the shark fights the boat. <laughs> Eventually, he gets one, he gets Quinn in a pretty gruesome, bloody battle. Uh, and Brody overcomes his fear of water and, sh- and manages to destroy the shark um, by shooting a oxygen tank, which is in the shark's mouth, which explodes and subsequently blows up the shark. Smile, yeah. you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, it has the one-liners, it has everything. So that's the basic plot synopsis. Phones, you got any cool facts you want to spin out of that book? Yeah, so <clears throat> is uh, this uh, Blu-ray was released in 2012. It's got... Um, two discs on here, the movie and a special features disc, um, and a little book. And in the book, it's just got some information about the car. So Sam mentioned, um, you know, f- the three main characters, really. And so I'll just give you guys a little bit of a <clears throat> read from this book, from the car. So sp- don't worry, I won't read it word for word. So Spielberg um, labored on the script, um, and he, he, wanted it, he wanted it filled out right. So... For um, Quint, he went to Lee Marvin. Marvin said no. He went to Sterling Hayden. He said no. David Brown. And uh, the, sorry, David Brown said, what about Robert Shaw? Robert said yes, and that was a simple story. But it took six months to do. Um, for the Roy Schneider role uh, of Chief oh, Brody. Before you do that, before you jump into it. Yeah, mate. He steals the movie, Quint. Oh, 100%. Um, and we so can... Robert Shaw was a fantastic actor. Um, yeah. who had a very extensive Hollywood career. Well, not really Hollywood career. He's British, but he is, um, he's been in some, some iconic films. Um, I guess you'd say the... I've got them all here, mate. Oh. Uh, he was in um, From Russia With Love. He played a henchman. Um, he was in... Um, uh, shit, what else was he in? Two Sex. He was in... Um, Another iconic film. Uh, so, Young Winston, The Sting, The Taking of Pelham, one, two, three. Yep, yep, that's a great Rob, film. Robin he plays the, the bad guy in that. Marion, The Deep, The Force 10 from Navaroon. Yep, that's a good, another uh, The Man in the Glass Booth. Um, and he died shortly after completing the Avalanche Express in 1979 at the age of 51. What did he die of, sir? Oh, they didn't say what he died of. They just said he died oh, had a heart attack. There you go. after completing the Avalanche Express. Yeah, he had a heart attack. I, I think it was a bit of a booze hound, to be honest with you. Yeah, so um, there's other trivia you know, around. I, I, look, I've researched this movie backwards and forwards, uh, especially when I studied film. But the other trivia is that he would, you know, he was rock up to set, just completely blind drunk, unable to um, even get his lines out. Um, because he was really big on the booze and that famous monologue, you know, he was actually a bit tipsy for it, but that mm-hmm. actually worked. Um, and we, we could talk. Yeah, we're well, actually we are talking about him. So, do you want to quickly talk about that yeah, that monologue? So, I mean, they've got the whole monologue in this book, but I won't read it word for word, and I won't actually read it. If you haven't seen it, if you don't know what we're talking about when we say the monologue, please watch this movie. Um, because as Sam said before, uh, Quint's character. Um, was on the Indianapolis, um, <clears throat> which is a true story. Yeah, Samuel Morphy. Indianapolis. Yeah. Yep. It, um, so I, because I'm I like history, I can tell you a bit about that context. Um, Take it. So this ship was designed to deliver some key components of the atom bomb to a U.S. base um, off of the Philippines. Um, it was a secret mission um, because obviously they wanted to keep the bomb hush hush from the enemy. At the time, Japan was on its knees and pretty close to surrendering. Um, the atom bomb was kind of, I guess, the tipping or the knife knife point. 
knife's edge. Um, so the USS Indianapolis delivered the components to the base and then ret- was returning to, the, I think, the Philippines um, when it was struck by two torpedoes from a Japanese sub. Now, this sub, I think, was an IA-8. I can't remember what the actual term is, but it was a special class of submarine um, that was actually designed to launch boats, funnily enough. It was massive, this thing. Uh, it the, the torpedoes um, hit the boat dead on. Um, the boat sank, I think, in less than... 10 no 12 minutes something like that um and basically 1100 men had to abandon ship jump jump into the water now because this was a secret mission nobody knew that the u.s indianapolis was actually out to sea and nobody knew that it had been sunk so these men were in the water for approximately three days until a seaplane spotted them but this is probably the worst thing you ever hear in the three days that they were in the water, and we're talking, some were just in the life jacket, uh, some were um, floating on some scrap, some were in the lifeboat. The men were actually being hunted and eaten by tiger sharks. So they not only had to survive a um, three days in the ocean, they actually had to survive... Uh, I guess it's a herd, I don't know what the term is, of tiger sharks eating them. Of the 1,200 or 1,100 men that went in the water, only 300-ish came out um, when they finally were rescued. Uh, And it was pretty much potluck as to who survived. Um, From all details, it was pretty horrific. The captain committed suicide at the age of 70, um, having struggled with the trauma of the event his whole life. Um, being blown up is probably traumatic enough and having to abandon ship, but then having to survive the water and then having to survive being eaten alive is probably worse. <laughs> um, and they were surrounded by blood and guts because everyone was getting bitten and eaten and obviously they were just bled out, bled out into the ocean that attracted more sharks and they, sh- and, they, and they were just literally in a pool of their mate's blood and entrails. Um, so that kind of gives the the context and the backstory to Quint and why he's such a nut bar because he's lived with that trauma his whole life and he's made a point of it to now hunt down sharks and kill as many of them as possible. Yep. <laughs> you pretty much summed it up, man. How's that for character motivation? Um, and you know, you know what, and can I say one thing as well? The yes. way they subtly deliver it yep. in the scene where they're on the boat getting drunk and then sh- comparing scars and then they sh- he sees the tattoo's been removed and he tells what the tattoo is of and then he sh- yep. then they tell the story of the USS Indianapolis is brilliant because yep. it all kind of you don't know understand why Quint is such a nut bar why he's a drunk why he's um aggressive why he's um uh, unhinged not stable and then when as soon as he drops that story yeah uh, it all makes sense and a piece of the puzzle falls into place yeah, and speaking of uh, piece in the puzzle, so that whole speech, the development of that speech um, is quite interesting. So, um, so the speech didn't come from Peter Benchley's novel. So this was an idea of Howard Sackler, a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright who worked on the screenplay, but he declined screen credit. So Spielberg says that the speech was uh, conceived by Sackler, who was uncredited, um, pretty much Howard just one day said Quint needs some motivation to show all of us what made him the way he is um, and he you know developed the Indianapolis speech the incident it was about 10 pages um, he showed the sorry it was a bit longer than that he showed the script then to his friend John Millis Mulis, sorry and John said can you take a crack at it so he then wrote the 10 page monologue and then Robert Shaw himself took the speech because he was a playwright. He wrote The Man in the Glass Booth. And Robert Shaw uh, took a crack at it, brought it down to five pages, and that was what was delivered um, by the character of Quint in the movie. So that whole speech, you know, three or so people working on it, Robert Shaw taking it away and um, delivering it. And his acting was absolutely amazing. So, again, if you have not watched this movie and you have no idea what we are talking about, then stop this pod, stop driving, 
get out of the car, run to your nearest video store, and get a copy of Jaws. It's real simple. Or just go on Amazon Prime and not do any of that. Run um, to your nearest video store. <laughs> um, so, and then I guess let's talk about whilst we're on the characters. Um, yeah. That's a great bit of truth. I didn't know Robert Shaw actually wrote that. That's, that makes it. I, I didn't either until literally just reading it. So that's pretty cool. This, um, this book, yeah. by the way, we'll get back onto the characters, but this book, like, is really cool. It's got some, um, uh, like, some blueprints of Bruce the shark, some original storyboards. Obviously, the whole monologue is written in here, like a photocopy from the pages. Pretty cool. Um, so, did you want to talk about Chief Brody? Chief Brody. Let's talk about Chief Brody and Harper. Uh, so, Brody is uh, from New York. Uh, I thought he was a sheriff, but I think he's actually a police chief. Uh, his job is to, obviously, police the town of Amity. Um, he moved from New York due to the crime wave that was occurring and he just felt like he was making no difference um again you get backstory through context um he gets drunk he then he sort of explains why he decided to move to the town given he hates sort of um water um and it just says that he wanted to make a difference some or wanted to move somewhere he could make a difference he's very conventional he's a conventional man he's not really anything i'd say I guess he's the character's amoral sort of guide. He he sees the evidence. He calls it the car. He says, oh, yeah, it's a shark attack. Okay, we have to close the beaches. So it's not like he's motivated by anything other than doing his job and trying to make a difference. Um, but he's also a principled man in the sense that it's his responsibility to deal with this issue given the mayor won't support him um, in, by any, in, in, in any capacity. So a lot of people would probably just call the Coast Guard and say, deal with it. But he's like, hmm. No, it's my town, my job. Interesting about his casting too is that, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, Spielberg went to Lee Marvin, um, Sterling Hayden, Dave, um, oh, sorry, that's the old one. Sorry, reading the wrong thing here. Ignore that. He went to several actors um, and one day he was sitting down um, with a glum look in his face and he was sitting down with his friend Roy Schneider at a party. Roy comes up to him and goes... You have such a glum look in your face. What's the matter? Steven Spielberg says, oh, I'm having trouble casting my picture. He asked who he went out to, and Spielberg named a few big names. Uh, Roy Schneider looked at Spielberg, and he said, what about me? Spielberg looks at him and goes, you're right. What about you? Will you make my movie? And Roy said, of course, without even looking at the script. Now, that's a pretty killer story. All at a party. So... <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> um, funnily enough, he only did number two because he wanted to settle a contract dispute with uh, yeah, yes. Universal Pictures. So he actually was not really he. See, Roy Schneider is a is a he's not really. Um, I guess they don't. You got to understand in the seventies, you didn't really have franchise no. actors. They just did one movie and they moved on to the next thing. Like that's how yeah. the industry worked. Um, you usually got movies based on your contract with the studio. It was a studio system, so studio would bring you on. And then put you in their pictures, right? Um, so to do a sequel was pretty unheard of. Like same with the Godfather, and when they did the sequel to the Godfather, I was like, "What the hell?" Like you just don't do sequels. Um. So yeah, it's it's, it's probably it's that's why this movie's such a hit. It's it's bang on casting. All right, let's um maybe jump on long to hop. Is it Hopper? It's Hopper, not Hooper. Hooper, Hooper. Oh, it's Hooper. Come on, Hooper! All right, so Hooper is played by... Um, City Hands Hooper. Yes, yeah, I know you, you'd like Quint because he's fucking... Especially that hands part. He's played <laughs> by Richard Dreyfus. Now, Richard Dreyfus is... Um, he's a pretty interesting cat. Um, he play He's charming, and he plays this role... Of a, I guess, marine biologist to the fucking pitch perfect degree so he's not i guess he can like the role could have been annoying or seem a bit whiny but he plays it like a not like a slick but like a compassionate um someone who knows their job educated person who realizes no this is not what it's here it's no this he's a man of science he wants to get down to the answers 
um, you know, the whole scene of he has to cut open the tiger shark to actually see if the boy that the shark ate um, bodies in there. If it's not, then it's not the shark. He measures the di- diameter of the mouth, um, the radius of the mouth. It doesn't match up with the bite marks. He he looks at the bodies of the victims of the, or the remains of the victims and says, yeah, no, this is not a boating accident. He crashes he, people's houses with bottles of wine of two different colors because just in case, you know, they're eating something that didn't complement one wine um, and gets a free meal. But anyway, go on. Exactly. <laughs> Top dog. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's, he's a great guy. Um, well, here we go. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, Brody was offered to Robert Duvall um, and Charlton Heston. There you go. I'm glad neither of those guys yes. did. Yeah, Charlton um, Heston was seen as too big of a star for him. Oh, okay. Um now, John Voight was offered the role of Hooper, um, and Jeff Bridges was also considered, but uh, apparently George Lucas suggested Richard Dreyfuss, who he had on American Graffiti. So Richard Dreyfuss' career, I would say, is probably isn't... I don't know, it's not as storied as what people think it is. Um, mm. I feel like he's had a really good career, but it kind of... A lot of films that you don't really remember... <laughs> Um, yeah to me his career kind of just like went down the drain when he agreed to go on 2010's Piranha 3D um, and play the Hooper role and get killed by Piranhas in the first two minutes but anyway yeah, right. yeah. Um, I mean he's been in some other big movies since like he was in um, shit what was it uh, well he was in um, like, uh, he only did like five movies uh, Close Encounters of the Third Time third Jeez, can't believe I couldn't remember the name of that. Yeah. Um, stand by me. Stand, yeah, stand by me. He was the narrator. Um, I can't really remember what it was. The, 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 I got them all here. But Stakeout. Uh, Stakeout being good. The Goodbye Girl. Um, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Poseidon. No, well, that was a remake. Um, yeah. So he, I don't know. I feel like his career was really hot in the seventies and. Um. Good, good actor though. Like what he did appear in, I think he did pretty good. Oh, he actually won a Academy Award in the Goodbye Girl. I've never seen that. No, maybe that's our next pod. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, and I don't, yeah, I don't think he really had a great career in the eighties or um, a fantastic career in the nineties either. But. This is this is a good portrayal, um, and it complements the story nicely. So you have the man in the middle. You have a man about the science who is city slicker. He's got the he's got his hands are too busy counting money, and you got Quint, the war veteran, blue collar guy, who's mm-hmm. so far off the rails, and he's just Quint. He's just trying to keep it together. Um, <laughs> It takes a while for him to get the plan to action to hunt the shark. Like, um, it takes, I think, three tragedies to occur. So, the first one, obviously, the girl in the opening credits. Then there is the boat, the fisherman's boat that they find, where they find the remains of that fisherman um, and they tow the boat back into shore. And then the third one is the 4th of July during the day where the mayor tells everyone to go into the water and then the shark comes in the, the pond yeah. and attacks the guy on the boat. You forgot the, the Kipnick kid, though. He was before the uh, boat. Oh, that's right. Okay, so this is the fourth, I think. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, because the event and occurs in front of everybody on the beach to actually oh see all God, the blood, that that's when they decide to action the um, the hunt. Okay. And and you know we talked about the cast and we talked about you know the story and everything, but the technical aspect of this movie as well. That scene where that kid gets uh, devoured by that shark um, was shown broad daylight. You see it briefly, like in pretty much full view. You you see the kid struggling and the shark come up and the yellow bodyboard, inflatable bodyboard, in the mouth of the shark and this. F- all this blood just shooting up. You see it briefly, but then there's this, um, I believe it's called a dolly zoom shot, um, which has been repeated Yeah, when since. they zoom in but pull out of that yeah. camera. Yeah, yeah. so that, that, you know, done on Roy Schneider. You know, that was pretty much never done before. That was like a new technique. 
Um, it's obviously been repeated since, but you know, it's these technical aspects to this filmmaking that was used. You know, those POV um, shots of the shark. You know, you have the shark's POV as it's swimming through. Um, interesting angles where you're in the face of the first victim as she's struggling through the water, you know, not really shying away, but not showing anything at the same time. It was a very technically sound movie, um, which, you know, kudos to Steven Spielberg. I know, I mean, in the past, I haven't really given him too much kudos because I see him as a big blockbuster guy. I'm not a big blockbuster guy myself, but the filmmaking in this movie, you can't beat it. You know, it really well, complements everything. Um, it's a young, hungry director wanting to innovate, create something new, to pu- push boundaries, to do a movie predominantly based on water. The first time that's ever happened. He's got a big mechanical shark. That's never happened before. He's yes. got effects. He's got to think about practical effects. He's got to sink a boat. He's got to have a mechanical shark seem real. He's got to have a f- real sharks. He's got fucking all these things going on. And it's bedlam. And apparently this was designed to be a two-month shoot. Which is, you think today's standards is crazy. Um, and it just goes to show why um, movies take so long. Um, it, well, maybe not these days because everything's green screen, but big box busters with a lot of setups take months and months and months. Um, this went out to being a seven month shoot. Budget blew out. The mechanical shark did not work for a long period of time so they had to come up with solutions to fight, make the shark work and see him re- um, bloody Bruce to see um, uh, real and believable um, and I'm not going to lie there's scenes where it's like oh fuck that's a slow shark um, but eh. overall he orchestrates something incredible Steven Spielberg I think hits it out of the park I'm like you. I'm not a massive Spielberg guy. I'm not really. I th- I think I like three of his movies. Like I like uh, my f- favorite is um, Saving Private Ryan. Um, have you seen that? Yeah, yep, seen it. I'd agree yeah. with that. And um, I'd probably say after Saving Private Ryan. Um, Look, I'll, I would actually list and then probably Jaws. So the, I'm not really Jurassic Park guy. I, mm. I don't really like any of his other like th- Close Encounters of the Third Kind is okay. I find that a bit slow. Um, I'm not a massive, um, uh, shit. What's that other film we did? Um, that everyone loves. Oh, Indiana Jones. Um, I, I don't mind. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark is cool. I don't really like Temple of Doom and, um, The Last Crusade is cool, but I, I don't know. I just, they're okay. Like they're okay. I don't, don't get me wrong. I do like them, but. They're a bit more disposable, if that makes sense. Um, and I, they just don't really resonate um, mm. with me as much as, say, Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List. And I think his really heavy dramatic stuff, like The Color Purple, um, uh, War Horse, that sort of stuff, is too ham-fisted and cheesy. Um I know people like Lincoln, and that's probably got to do with um, Daniel Day Lewis's performance more than anything. Um, but I feel like he has tonal issues when it comes to not the serious stuff because Schindler's List is perfect, but maybe like the um, when it's more like a, a drama drama. You know what I mean? Where it's about people and drama, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Look, I think Spielberg's best work is when there's a bit of a, an adventure aspect you know like I, I don't mind jurassic park i think that's probably one of his top movies schindler's list i honestly can't recall i, I know i've seen it but i can't recall it it would have been a long time ago so it's something it's to revisit pressing film we've seen in life yeah it's something to revisit for sure mm-hmm. um you know et i remember watching and like oh, e. when I, I was stand. a kid i can't stand it when i was a kid but i haven't seen it since i just i want that alien to just shoot that kid eh? yeah I um, i'm just not into it like, i don't care um you know, I mean, he. I do have the episode of Columbo that he was the director of that was really good. Um, sorry, I just had to throw that out there. Columbo fan number one here. Uh, yeah, like I, I find that when he's doing, you know, more adventure style stuff, that's, where, that's when I like him. War of the Worlds mm. was not good. Terrible. <laughs> but, you know, you can't have them all winners. But the thing about... Oh, he hasn't made a good movie in a long time. Like his last good movie probably was, I want to say... 
I mean, Lincoln got all the Oscar buzz, but I'd probably say for me, Lincoln was a bit fucking a bit dry um, and a bit um, yeah, a bit boring to be honest. Um, just, just looking at his credits, it would be for me Saving Private Ryan. Uh, no, I'd probably say Munich. Munich was a good film. Um, wasn't a hit by any stretch of the imagination. In terms of his last hit, his last hit probably would have been Catch Me If You Can. That would probably be the last bona fide hit or maybe Minority Report. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, maybe Lincoln made money. I don't know. But Bridge of Spies was a turd. The BFG was a turd. The Post, Who Gives a Fuck. Ready Player One was made money, but it was a fucking turd. Um, and apparently West Side Story is meant to be coming out later this year anyway, so... Um, but I think he's also known for the stuff. He's also probably had a role with regards to, um, producing and the DreamWorks, uh, studio that he created, I think subsequently sold. Um, so as a producer, he's done a lot of things. He's done like the Goonies. He's done, um, Back to the Future. Uh, he's Gremlins. done, yeah, Gremlins, uh, Arachnophobia. That was a good one. I like that. Um, <laughs> Men, at Men in Black International. <laughs> done shoots of shit. He's done. Um, uh, what else has he man. done? He's done Transformers. He's a big part of the Transformers stuff. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's maybe not a reflection, a good reflection, but it's just to show he's been... Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah, he's done heaps of shit. So, um. Yeah, so I I agree entirely. Like his direction in this is sublime, though. Yeah. Oh. Um, maybe let's talk about the fact that this was actually based on a book called Jaws. Funnily enough, yes. um, and there was actually some pretty big deviations from the book. Um, yeah, there were. So let's maybe go through those. So. Um, Ellen um, and Brody have a much closer relationship in the movie than they do in the book. In the book, Ellen kind of resents Brody for having moved the family from New York to this island town. Uh, Hooper and Ellen actually have an affair, funny enough, in the book. Um, yeah, I heard and, that. And um, it kind of... I'm glad they even didn't bother with that it's, because it doesn't need it. It's a popcorn film. It has to keep rolling. Um, uh, what else? Uh, in the movie, uh, Hooper, when he goes to look at um, Ben Gardner's sunken boat, um, he finds a shark tooth and he drops it because he gets rattled because he sees the body of, of Harper, or Gardner, sorry. Uh, in the book, is actually it's actually um, Brody's deputy finds a shark tooth from the boat and he pulls it out um, when it's docked. Um, so that's a bit of a different deviation, a quite a substantial one actually. So just in the movie, it services as the, the reason why the mayor has doubts and because he doesn't have any evidence, so therefore he chooses not to believe it. Uh, and in the movie, he's under the mayor Vaughan is under pressure from local businesses to keep the town open. Sorry, keep the beaches open so that the um, tourists come to the town. However, in the book, um, the mayor is under pressure from mafia, funnily enough, to keep the, the beaches open because the mafia have actually bought property and real estate in Amity and they want to keep the valley very high. Um, there's another big one. Uh, oh, yeah. When they're on the boat, Brody apparently in the book tries to strangle Hooper for having an affair with his wife, but in the movie, he just tries to get, um, Hooper asks Brody to go out to, in order to get a picture of the, of the, of the, um, the, um, shark. And I guess the last deviation is that every night the orca actually comes home. Um, whereas in the movie, the orca stays on, the, out in the ocean. Now, phones, let's maybe, so there's some big, big deviations. I, I, for one, think... I've actually read the book. Have you read the book, Jaws? No, I haven't read the book. Hooper dies on the book, yeah? Sorry if you mentioned yes, it. Yes, he does. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Hooper dies on the book um, as well. Um, uh, oh, and Quint, Quint's death is a bit different. He's, down, he's drowned because he's dragged underwater. 
Um, he gets his foot caught in a rope and gets dragged underwater, whereas he actually gets in. Um, oh, that's a bit lame. Uh, so th- some big deviations. I actually think the movie is better than the book. Um, that might be sacrilege for some, but I think it flows a lot better. Um, it doesn't have the, I guess, I mean, in a book you can kind of flesh out characterization a bit more and have those sort of, um, you know, the affair and other bits and pieces to kind of keep it a bit more dynamic and a bit more tension. But the tensions between Hooper and Quint is good enough to me. <laughs> Based on real life tension too, but. Yeah, hey, exactly. They hate each other. So, um, it's a good, it's, it doesn't need it. And it just helps with the pacing and it's the motivations of the, not having the mafia there. That just makes a lot more sense to me. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like the movie is actually superior, superior telling of the story. Um, now phones, what's your sort of favorite scene or favorite moment? Uh, what, what, like, what's your favorite part of this film? I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's getting straight to my head. So that scene when they're on the boat mm-hmm. and they're singing the song and, you know, they're all having a good time. They're all drunk. And then you hear the noise of the shark. And then it's just like, holy shit, what's going on? Um, I love that scene. I think it's a great scene in um, character development, a bit of fun. And and then uh, reminding the audience that you're in a uh, you know bit of a scary movie you know I think that's I think there was some good tension building so that's probably one of my favourite scenes is that whole Indianapolis speech the characterizations at the bottom of the boat and then that final song breakout into the shark you know reminding them that that he's there. What about you? To me, it's similar. It's um, I I. I feel like the movie really gets going when the three men decide to hunt. Well, when Quint gets hired to hunt down the shark, and he brings along um, uh, the police chief and Hooper, and I feel like it actually kind of elevates the stake and the tension a lot more. Because let's be real, right? If a shark um, was in the water and he just closed the beaches, like okay, well, what's going to happen next? Nothing. So that's why I feel like it sort of elevates the tension and the stakes. Um, but it also gives us that three-way man dynamic, um, and because these are all fucking real deal heavyweight actors, give them good dialogue. Um, you're right. You got the threat of the shark that they um, that they're in the sharks element. Um, that Quint is obviously a nut bar. Um, that police uh, chief doesn't want to be there because he's afraid of water. Um, he. <laughs> It's not really a unified team trying to hunt this shark. It's, you know, Hooper doesn't really like Quinn and Quinn doesn't like Hooper and they're kind of at odds with each other and they never seem to have a grasp on the magnitude of the situation as well. So the shark is like, he shoots it. He, so the firstly, they chum and he tries to bring it in with a reel. That snaps, that line snaps. So then he escalates it by shooting a harpoon that has a buoy, and the buoy designed because it's got air, it makes it hard for the shark to go under. So he's dragging this buoy with him. Um, well, not a buoy, it's like a barrel. And the barrel, he can't dive because the barrel's full of air, so he um, he won't be able to go underwater, right? But with a shark can, he's that strong, he's that big, it's no problem for him, so then they lose sight of the shark. And then it's shark attacks early at night or early morning, whatever it is. And then you see Quint slowly descent into madness that he will not be defeated by this animal. Um, he blo- he beats up the, bashes the radio. So um, when uh, Cooper, Brody, sorry, tries to radio the Coast Guard for help. Um, so he's losing his shit. He's just going crazy. Um, Brody says to Hooper, wouldn't it make more sense to try and get the shark to shallower water as opposed to be led out to sea? So you can see that the shark is actually winning the the game, the the cat and mouse game, (laughs) because Quint is sort of losing his cool and calm and composure. Um, And then it kind of, for me, where it de-escalates is when... um, 
Well, what, where I kind of get sad is when Quint dies. I'm like, oh, I like Quint. I like that dynamic. I don't want. I want mm. all three to survive, but you need yeah. one of them to die. I guess. Um, see, see, that's when I always reckon they should have brought Quint's little weird assistant uh, fishing mate that was, you know, in the begin, the more earlier scenes, just walking around with Quint, that little weird looking dude. He should have just been on the boat hanging out in the corner. Then he sh- he should have got munched and let Quint live. But you know, <sighs> he can't win them all. But that death though. Oh, 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 my! I read that was one of the first. So when I was a kid, I always say, you know, my first experiences with death, right, was Dragon Ball Z, when Yamcha dies, because it's my first episode I watched. Was hey, who's this cool character? Oh, he's dead, and Jaws it was Quinn's death because it was a character that you was so memorable, and then boom, it was like I remember watching it when I was a kid. And that was always the scene where my dad probably should have gone, hey, turn around and don't look. But he was always like, oh, well, sure, got him. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a really good scene, man. But, fuck. Um, and then when he when you know, he passed to go in the water to try and kill the shark with poison, um, it's all, and the shark, he, the shark kind of eats through the cage. Um, it's all, it's all suspense. It's all beautifully orchestrated. The story develops organically. I mean, the one part I kind of think is a bit ham-fisted um, is when Quint realizes that what's well, actually he comes to his, he has a moment of clarity. He comes to his senses that um, I think the shark has three boys attached to him or three shots of the harpoon, and um, he's like, nothing, you know, no shark can ever fucking so can, he can't, you know, go down underwater three. And it does. It goes under the boat, um, and the boat. So what they do is they tie the 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 boys some line from the boys to the end of the boat, and the sharks actually pull the boat further out. So what they do is they decide to cut the line and have the shark, because the sharks following the boat. They decide to have the shark follow them to shallow waters, and try and drown the shark that way. Um, by and what they mean by drowning the shark is that because the water's too shallow, the shark won't actually be able to dive. Um, and he won't be able to move, and sharks need to move. Even when they sleep, they need to move um, in order to, to to fucking breathe, I guess. Um, so that was the plan, but for whatever reason, he keeps the boat at a high RPM that blows out the engine. And I always thought, oh, that's a bit cheesy. Like he would. Like I know he doesn't like being told to do a Hooper, and Hooper's telling him to fucking slow it down, slow it down. The engine can't handle it, but he just doesn't want to listen to him, and he wants to be proven he's right. So he just keeps fucking hammering that engine that eventually blows up, and then the boat's just dead in the water. So it's like a lot of things have to go wrong for it to make sense from a plot perspective. Him destroying the radio as well was a bit. Uh, I know he's fucking crazy, but would he really block the radio? I mean, he wants to get the shark. He wants the he wants the honor of killing the shark. I understand that. Um. Yeah. So, what did you think about that? About how Quint pretty much is the the reason for why it kind of goes south. Oh, good. Glad he got eaten then. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I mean, uh, like, did you think that was believable? Like. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, look, I'm willing to look past it because, I mean, that Quinn character was very well established that he definitely has a hard-on for killing sharks and a personal vendetta against them. Mm. Um, And, you know, he's constantly drinking alcohol in pretty much every scene he's in, you know, chugging a couple beers as he's uh, doing a bit of fishing on the edge of the boat there and and whatever. So uh, I could, you know, look, I could see it and I could see it not, you know, being a bit convoluted and not really making sense, but I'm will- yeah, I'm willing to look past it because his character was pretty well established to just be someone who'll be willing to, you know, jeopardize everything to get that one thing, mm. um, which mm. I guess is a, you know, a reason for his demise, which was he put his own, you know, obsession with getting the shark in front of uh, logical thinking which mm-hmm. then ended up him as uh, as lunch. Mm-hmm. What a lunch. 
be a better human. Um, yeah, I guess I, yeah, I don't know. I just find it's a bit hokey. Um, and yeah, I, yeah to, to today's standards, yeah, I'd say it's a bit hokey. But you know what? Yeah, I'm willing to look past it. It's pretty good. Um, and that's probably but the only one thing I find a bit egg on. But the rest of it's spot on. Um, phones. Now we start to wind this thing down. There's a couple of things that I always find as a kid struggling to get my head around. So, listeners, in Australia, we live near the beach. I live 15 minutes from the beach. In summer, you go to the beach. We are not strangers to shark warnings and shark attacks in Australia. Um, we quite often, actually, I've had, I remember distinctly two shark warnings um, recently uh, in metropolitan beaches. Um, so, basically, just a siren goes off, helicopter goes up, get out of the water. It's not that big a deal to be honest um but i find that i don't really understand how the shark could eat the people that went out swimming because you have to go pretty fucking far for a shark to be able to get in um and that's what i don't think people i know i know a lot of like shark experts hate this film because that's not how sharks behave but to me, it just seems a bit plausible that people would go that far out for a swim um, because most shark attacks happen to surfers and surfers are obviously out um, trying to catch waves, so they're much further out. Swimmers don't usually get bitten because it's, they're closer to shore and the water is actually too shallow, especially for grey whites. Um, great whites, sorry. Yeah, that's a big sharks shark. sharks or bull sharks, but a different story. Tiger sharks, bull sharks, different story. But great whites just can't get in that close. Um, so that's the first thing I found a bit odd is that he would actually get in that close. I mean, the boat one makes a bit more sense because that was a bit the pond, so it appears to be a bit deeper. Um, but the the first one, I'm like, I'm like, lady, how far are you out? Like skinny dipping, nobody goes out that far skinny dipping because you don't want to. Like, it's hard to see. You don't want to fucking lose sight of the shore. First of all, first of all, and second, the one with a kid, I find hard to. I don't know, I find that a bit hard. Like, you wouldn't be drifting out that far. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know the waters of North America, so then they might have a deeper uh, short, uh, drop-off than what Australia does, but I, I don't know. That's the first thing that always gets me. The second thing that always gets me is, how the fuck, in the middle of summer, can people be wearing suits and jackets and... <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's how the hot seven, It's American... the 70s, man. Yeah, but how hot does the how hot the the American summers, especially on the East Coast, must be not that hot. Like in Australia, there's no chance in hell any dude is wearing a fucking yeah. But they were all uh, they were all bright, bright suit, colored. or they even were, a jacket, that yeah, big bomber jacket in winter in summer. It's just not happening. They're all bright colored suits, though, man. But, you know, I don't know. I just find it. I don't find that plausible. I mean, <laughs> in Australia, I, I guarantee summers are hotter than most more majority of America. Maybe 100%. not California, maybe not Arizona, where the desert is. But yeah, I just don't get... Like, to me, it's like, oh, is that even fucking hot? <laughs> like, the mayor's in a suit, and he's telling people to go in the water. I'm like, mm, is it even hot? <laughs> like, let, me, let, let me tell you something. Listen, as Australian summers, man. I work with uh, uh, snakes and spiders as part of my everyday thing, and we got some pretty nasty snakes. I still wear shorts out in the field because forget wearing pants in Australian summer. Uh, I should be wearing pants because snakes are like a good ankle bite. But uh, yeah, we know our summers and Sam's right. Boycott jaws because they wore suits. No, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> saying that. I, I, from a culture perspective. It doesn't make sense. It, it yeah. Actually, it actually, I have thought about that as well. Okay. <laughs> I have thought about, Especially that um, police deputy, you mentioned yeah. bomber jacket. Yeah. He's always in a fucking jacket. He's always in a bomber jacket. Uh, but you know, you always know someone like that. You know that guy who always wears a jacket mm. in summer and it's always one of those Katmandu jackets? Mm. You're like, dude, let's take it off. I reckon he's that guy. 100%. Well, okay, so it's spring here in Australia. For context, listeners, it's spring here in Australia. 30 degrees um, tomorrow, isn't it? Tomorrow's going to be, yeah, 30 degrees Celsius. So that is what... What's that in Fahrenheit? 86. Now this is not hot. That believe me, that's not hot. That's mild. It really is. That's pleasant weather for yeah, us. I'm wearing a jumper tomorrow, boys. Um, 
in the morning you probably will have to wear a jumper to be honest it's not that to us it's not fucking that's not hot in summer it's 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 very common for us to experience yeah 104 uh, degrees fahrenheit on a regular basis 104 108 maybe um yeah like on a regular basis and we're talking weeks on and weeks like (laughs) Our heat waves last weeks and they last long. Um, there's no reprieve at night. It's always fucking hot. Yeah. Um, and that's why I just I, I when people say they have summers in the northern hemisphere, I'm like, unless you're in the Middle East, you don't have a fucking summer. <laughs> like you're not having a summer. <laughs> got, I got family in uh, Europe and um, uh, like uh, you know France, some in Ireland. Yeah, and I love their heat waves when they're saying they're going through a heat wave, and it's like twenty six degrees. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's like, yeah, that's seventy eight degrees Fahrenheit for those listeners. That's so. like, mm, <laughs> should I put a jacket on? Yeah, maybe. Dude, that's that's winter. That's winter for us. Dude. Yeah, like no joke. Winter sometimes we get twenty two degrees Celsius. Yeah, like, that's it's, it's bizarre. Like how I don't know. It's just bizarre. Um, we we only have a short winter, and our short winter is a tiny window, and it does get really cold here, but. Mm. Um, but anyway, we're, we're, we're kind of getting off track here with Jaws, but... Okay, last one, last one, last one. <laughs> I kind of lose scope of actually how far these guys are out in the ocean because some scenes, it looks like they're really way out. Way out, sorry. And then in some scenes, you can actually see the shoreline. Um, and pretty clearly, you can see the shoreline. So that means it'd probably be like a... If you had if you had a buoy or a, a life raft or a, you know you could probably swim it. Yeah. Um. So I feel like there's a bit of inconsistency in that, um, which probably would have been fixed today with just a matter of um CGI. But Jaws is known for some of the continuity issues, like the uh, level of wine in the wine bottles and glasses continually changing, and um, Brody's glass sunglasses disappearing from one shot to the next um without being taken off or no it was a watch sorry him wearing a watch and the watch disappearing so jaws is kind of known for that uh, i i think it just adds to the charm of the movie really because it shows that how good of a movie it actually is that your continuity errors you don't really don't really mm. care about mm. but those are like some small grabs that i find like Oh yeah, as and the water itself, I, I don't know. Maybe it was because they're in an island, but I would have thought it's always very calm. Um, and I guess in summer it tends to be a bit calmer, but I'm I'm like just in Australia, warm water is usually calm in summer, um, but not dead still. Um, there's always some waves. Especially on the East Coast as well. That's what they had with filming issues as well, was actually filming out in the ocean was the ocean not cooperating. So that's oh, yeah. because it would chop and change. And, uh, oh, no, so do they mean it was too calm or too rough? No, like it would just change. It would be too rough or whatever. Like the, the yeah. ocean just wasn't... The ocean wasn't playing a good actor. Well... <laughs> Excuse Being me. a good actor, sorry. Well, I mean, I mean, the fact that they developed the technology as well to keep the camera still whilst on a boat is amazing. Um, so they developed that tech for this movie. Um, and, I mean, some scenes it's not still because they want to show, like, the roughness, particularly when they're going out and they're chumming and the boat's going up and down. That's fine. But you've got to have it still because you don't want people to be sick, right? So they actually yeah. have to develop the tech to keep the camera still whilst on the water. Um so that was amazing. Um, the, but yeah, overall, I mean, that's all the small grabs I have. But I think my recommendation would be a must-watch and a must-own in your collection. Phone, what's your recommendation? 100%, man. A must, uh, yeah, must-watch, must-own. Um, there are a few Jaws movies after it. They're a must-not-worry-about. Um, part 2 is a serviceable sequel, but forget it. Just, just part 1, Jaws. That's part it. two, yeah, part two isn't too bad. Like it's, no, it isn't too bad, but it's okay. as I said, it's serviceable, and that's that's all it is. But you know, if you want a groundbreaking, you know, it, sorry, you go from groundbreaking movie, to, you know, to being it should be a one and done, mm. and then all of a sudden there's another shark, you know, and like 
it's pretty much the exact same story, but it's it's okay, but it's just it's not quite there. I I don't recommend that. And then 3D and whatever that last. I've never piece seen 3D, yeah, and I've never movie. seen Jaws Revenge. Whatever. I've seen Jaws of Revenge because I used to have Foxtel, and that would be one of the movies I would always play on Showtime. Would be Jaws of Revenge. My God, that I like the room. Look, is a better movie than Jaws of Revenge. Yeah, I've heard bad things. Yeah. It is not good. The freaking shark roars like a lion. Um, <laughs> not even kidding. So you go from, you know, and that and that is pretty much how sequels worked, you know, back in the day. You know, you go from greatness to, to crap. But definitely just watch Jaws. Really good. Really good movie. Highly recommend it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all i got to say on that one. Beautiful. All right, listeners, let's wrap this bad boy up and bring it home. As always, you can find us on Twitter, on um, SoundCloud, iTunes, and pretty much an RSS feed, so wherever you can download podcasts from. Um, Thanks for listening, and until next time, fans. See you later.